because not all ministers would be attacked attacked because not all <laughs> ministers would be attached to political parties <laughs> they would be constantly Sorry. attacked probably yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's Friday, March the 1st, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, civil engineer and mentally at the Glasgow Willy Wonka experience. <laughs> and with me today is Gordon Tarek, contributing editor at Dutch News and Jumbo Shrinkflation victim. Yeah, the Glasgow Willy Wonka experience, it has nothing to do with Dutch news whatsoever. No. But still, I don't think we can we can, we can can leap over it, especially on not on this day. Yeah, If you've been um, on the internet to this week, then you will instantly know what the Glasgow Willy Wonka experience is. It's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> there is a petition to uh, to to reinstall the Glasgow <laughs> to make an annual event. Yeah, it won't take them long, <laughs> would it? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, screaming and, and and yelling and crying children. I think that that is quintessentially something that belongs to the Willy Wonka experience. It is right? it's it's something you see quite a lot of in Glasgow as well. To be honest, it's, uh, so <laughs> so the the two, yeah, m- matched up quite well in that uh, in that regard. But uh, and I believe you you lived in Glasgow, right? Yes. Or not? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I, I never went to the disused uh, um, <laughs> warehouse where they held this uh, this remarkable event. Yeah, if you don't know what we're talking about, just uh, just look it up. I th- I'm sure there are plenty of uh, of articles around there. But it, it it reminded me of the good old times of the uh, uh, Four Seasons Total Landscaping Saga. It has the same vibe and the same. Uh, gravity on the internet and it's sprung i mean i've been reading looking at my phones the entire day and i've been 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 walking around with a big smile on my head <laughs> the entire day it just sprung up a whole world of me, memes yeah it was like yeah. it was like twitter went back in time like you know about eight years <laughs> to, to when yeah people were just constantly yeah. just um yeah just sharing memes and uh, ridiculous jokes and experiences yeah, and peop- and people kept asking me why are you smiling and then i had to explain to these people that do not <laughs> spent that time as much uh, as I do on the internet, uh, yeah, explaining what I was laughing about. And then, of course, uh, Princess uh, Catherine also vanished. And uh, yeah, those two memeable, um, (laughs) I mean, sometimes you have one plus one is three, right? This was one of these instances. This is one plus one is seven. Yeah, there was was just so much to keep it going. Yeah, And there's a fabulous series of interviews, I think, on TikTok with the guy who was hired to play Willy Wonka, this experience, where he explained the whole setup and it just added a whole dimension of madness. He was talking about the script, which seemed to be written by AI, basically, that he had to follow, and it just made no sense at all. The advertisements were definitely made by AI. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think we ha- we need a, a a Dutch equivalent of the Willy Wonka experience, and I I think that Enschede or or perhaps <laughs> Etteleur is an excellent place. The, the Almere, to organize surely. That. Just uh, oh, Almere, yeah. yeah. Well, we of course exactly. Almere. So, we yeah. should do that. Yeah. I mean, there there's, is a, there is empty. Sell it has the city that rose from the sea, and then you take them to Almere. <laughs> I mean, there's an empty airport in Flevoland. Yes. Exactly. Um, yeah, land at fl- land at uh, the airport, except you can't, or only if you're in a tiny plane, or a training yeah. plane, and uh, yeah, and then uh, make your way across the empty polders, past the uh, business part with no businesses, um, towards uh, towards Almira, the city that uh, time never never visited. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough about uh, this uh, non-Dutch uh, thing. Um, 
you have been spending your time at uh, Jumbo and you've been uh, scammed, basically, right? Oh, mm, yeah, well, uh, I, I might have been. There, there, there was something very strange going on. that We had uh, this week, there was a story saying that uh, secondary school children were very bad at maths in the Netherlands. Yeah. So they got very bad. At, uh, and this, I think, is already starting to be borne out in society because I picked up a bag, <laughs> a packet of uh, hamburger buns, which is a pack of four hamburger buns. It says on the label, very clearly, four bag of hamburger buns. It's a sealed pack, hadn't been opened, and inside the pack were very visibly three hamburger buns. <laughs> and so I took this off the shelf. I thought, no, I'm not having that. So I picked up the other pack of hamburger buns. It was on the shelf because it was quite late in the day. There were only two packs. And that also had three burgers and burger <laughs> buns in it. So It wasn't a coincidence. I don't know. Uh, anyway, I went to the checkout. Uh, I mentioned this uh, discrepancy between you know, this shortfall, this kind of Willy Wonka-esque um, <laughs> ad- ad- approach to hamburger buns. You, you approached the Oompa Loompa behind the <laughs> yeah. counter, yes. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I got the buns for free, basically. So I ended up uh, oh, really? with uh, three free hamburger buns because uh, yeah, they were, <laughs> there was one, they were one short in the pack. So. And you know what to do when you wouldn't have got it for free, right? You should have complained on the uh, infamous website klacht.nl, <laughs> uh, which is a thing. Uh, and it's a, it's a glorious thing to behold. You should definitely uh, visit it once or twice. It's uh, Dutch people complaining about basically everything yeah. you can imagine. Yeah. Um, and they do think that putting your complaint on that website is going to make any sort of impact, which is obviously it doesn't. Obviously it doesn't, but yeah. But yeah, Dutch people really like to complain. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole list of complaints um, going back ten years, saying I was uh, I lost my entire house, family, and income because I made a small uh, mistake on uh, my child benefit claim. But uh, nothing happened. So uh, um, we will uh, we will uh, uh, talk about that <laughs> later in yes. the podcast. Just like we are going to talk later on the podcast about Lelystad Airport children being bad at math and uh, yeah, a wide range of other stuff. But first, um, let's go to the OPEF of the week. Yeah. And um, in, 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 in a way, I am uh, yeah, disappointed that we're going to have to mention this guy again. Uh, but <laughs> on the other hand, making fun of Rutger Bregman is always, <laughs> always a, a nice way to spend your time, I think. Yeah. Uh, the OPEF of the week uh, comes from our favorite writer and know-it-all, Rutger Bregman, who appeared on uh, Buitenhof this weekend, which is the country's most boring talk show. Uh, the problem with talk shows in the Netherlands is that you have, on the other hand, a series of talk shows that are way too unserious. Yeah, um, very over the top, hysterical, um, yeah. and yeah, with too many castingles. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, on the other side of the spectrum, the, the, the other version you have is, is Buitenhof, which is ser- serious, but so serious that it is extremely boring. Um, but Rutger Bregman appeared on that talk show. And um, yeah, he is basically the, uh, the type of man that can convert every not so revolutionary observation into the great solution to the problems of our time. Uh, right. Um, yeah. And I think he's mostly famous for uh, writing a book called De Meeste Mensen Deugen. Most people are good well not a very yeah, a yeah great no, observation no, really a searing insight is it but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he might also be uh, you might also know him from yelling at billionaires at the uh, panel at the world economic forum uh, telling them to uh, start pay taxes mm. i mean yeah tax the rich i mean also not a revolutionary idea here but uh, yeah that is what he does um and um yeah after his revelation that most people are good it is now time for something uh, he calls moral ambition he said in a talk show that it's a waste of time and talent that millions of people are stuck at bullshit jobs and they should do something else with a better social impact 
um, asked what he himself was doing. Bregman <laughs> said that uh, he will found something called the School for Moral Ambition, <laughs> which is going to stimulate moral ambition in others. Uh, so that yeah, it doesn't sound like a bullshit job <laughs> at all here. Um, yeah, this also, is like the, uh, sort of the intellectual equivalent of the Glasgow Willy Wonka experience, really, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, this is like a sort of Willy Wonka university. Yeah, you think you're going to college, yeah. you're going to some kind of uh, yeah, high-brow, high-powered um, uh, uh, panel that will uh, fill you with all kinds of inspiring uh, uh, stuff. But in fact, you'll, someone will just be sitting there reading out fortune cookies. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. That's or, or, or even worse, right? extracts from Brechtman's books. <laughs> Yeah, put on a, a weird hat on his head, and uh, yeah, you have basically have Willy Wonka, uh, except you won't have any nice, uh, nice chocolates, uh, unfortunately. He also had a plan for uh, millionaires and billionaires. They should stop spending their money on expensive art, but instead buy grenades for Ukraine. Mm. He didn't specify where you're going to buy grenades. Uh, uh, I, I hear there's plenty knocking about in Flaringen. They keep being left outside a plumber's door. So perhaps yeah, exactly. Hugo Brechtman, in the spirit of uh, um, setting a good moral example, could just go around Flaringen uh, collecting these grenades and boxing them up and uh, driving them off in a truck to Ukraine. The people see of Flaringen have suffered gets. enough, I think. Yeah. Um, so the internet basically had a field day after the broadcast ridiculing Brechtman, mm-hmm. especially after someone dug up some old tweets of him dating from March 2022, in which he expressed uh, his worries and disbelief that all of a sudden so many people had turned into warmongering hawks when they called to send weapons, ammunition and military equipment to Ukraine. So how the tables have turned here. Mm. Um, Rutger Brechtman, our favorite, yeah, Pastor. He basically is a pastor. Right? I'm sure his father was a pastor. I'm, 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 I'm sure it wa- he was. Yes, yeah, so, or somebody um, informative in his life. He does like to preach. So, yeah, so he was pre- <laughs> preaching the virtues of uh, sending explosives to Ukraine, to a war zone. Further this week, informateur Kim Putters finally has spoken to actual politicians again, but the formation process is still uh, in a stalemate. Crime Lord Ridwan Tachi has been convicted to life in prison. The Netherlands is contributing 100 million euros to help replenish Ukraine's stocks of ammunition, uh, on the advice of Rutger Brechtman, of course. Yes. Tourists are finding the Netherlands again. The NS is planning to raise train tickets again. The Orange Lionesses won't go to the Olympics in Paris and people from outside Groningen will finally be able to enjoy an airball. And I think we uh, we can uh, we have Dutch news has caused some uphef. Uh, I think uh, we, uh, yes, we, we, we stirred up quite a discussion here. I think. So, um, so uh, stay tuned to learn about uh, <laughs> to learn everything about the airball. A majority cabinet, a minority cabinet, an extra parliamentary cabinet, or none of the above. It's looking more and more like the last option as the political parties remain deadlocked about the shape and composition of the next Dutch government. Remember, the election was now more than three months ago. Yep. This week, Kim Butters, the director of the Social Economic Council, took over the Sisyphean task of trying to get the Pefefe, Fefefe, NSC and BBB around the cabinet table to try and form some kind of new acronym. Peter Omzicht, leader of the centre-right New Social Contract, said after meeting Putters that he wasn't prepared to join any kind of coalition that includes Geert Wilders' Pfefe. That's because Omzicht is a constitutional reformer, while a Pfefe manifesto is full of policies that would conflict with the constitution, especially when it comes to the rights of minorities and membership of the European Union. 
Wilders, though, says Omsicht's preferred option of an extra parliamentary cabinet won't fly either. Omsicht argues this kind of administration would have a looser relationship with Parliament because not all ministers would be attached to political parties and there wouldn't be such a clear divide between coalition and opposition. He cited the Tuslaken affair, the excessive and discriminatory anti-fraud measures that we'll talk about shortly, as an example of the kind of bad law that uh, is produced by a bipartisan system. But Wilders says an extra-parliamentary cabinet won't fly because it can't count on the support of the parties that are in Parliament, and he said the whole process is taking too long anyway. Fifty-day leader Dylan Yeshelgers isn't keen on the idea either of a minority coalition with Omsicht as a kind of sleeping partner or dithering partner, which is what he seems to be. And Caroline van der Plas of the Farmers' Party, BBB, is getting visibly more irritated with the whole thing by the day. And uh, this week she took a swipe at Omsicht saying, if you're prepared to support the cabinet from outside, why can't you just join a regular coalition? She has a point. Yeah. The, the BBB is the only party that's unequivocally in favour of going into partnership with Wilders' Pfeffe. So, are there any other combinations feasible uh, now that the top uh, 27 options have been ruled out? Uh, is there any coalition <laughs> mathematically possible? Yeah, well, there are mathematically possible coalitions but and coalitions of parties or parties that want to go into government together, but uh, you can't make the two match up somehow. So, there was talk some this week of bringing in one or two minor parties, uh, particularly the Christian parties, the CDR and the uh, SKP, to boost the numbers, but the S- uh, CDR quickly scotched that idea. Henry Bontabal, the CDR leader, cratically ruled out power sharing with Wilders, and both he and the SKP said they weren't interested in exotic variants. I don't really think mm. the SKP would ever go in for an exotic variant of anything, right? I mean, not even a haircut. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, other minor party leaders, even parties on the other side of the spectrum, like Fulton de Zestach, said it was up to the four right-wing parties to form a government, and they also said they wanted to see a stable majority cabinet. You can possibly see that there's a bit of tension between those two concepts. <laughs> and how about uh, Labour leader Frans Timmermans? Because we've almost forgotten that uh, GroenLinks PvdA are the second largest party in, uh, in Parliament. Yes, they are, but Timmermans has said he's not interested in trying to form an alternative coalition, or at least not until the four parties currently in the frame have uh, basically battered themselves to a standstill and exhausted all the possible options. Timmermans uh, says that's a democratic thing to do. It also puts them under pressure to actually come up with some kind of deal when they're visibly gasping for breath. Um, And Timmermans is also putting pressure on them at the same time to hurry up. He said, get on with the job. The country can't wait. Um, But that's, funnily enough, exactly what Kit Wilders said as well. He said uh, (laughs) the, the Netherlands can't wait for a new government. Uh, Tim Munns also questioned Wilders' apparent change of stance this week on support for Ukraine, which is the one kind of policy variant, I suppose, we've seen yeah. in the last two weeks. Uh, we're going to talk more about Ukraine shortly, but um, Wilders said on Twitter he was prepared to consider all forms of support, including military aid. But Tim Munns called the PFFA as a party a threat to national security, and he'd earlier said that Wilders was, was an admirer of Putin, even after the downing of MH17 in the invasion of Crimea, uh, because Wilders obviously went to Russia, visited the Duma as a guest and wore a yeah. friendship pin but that provoked a furious reaction from Wilders on Twitter who speculated not for the first time that uh, armies of rogue lunatics were queuing up to put a bullet in his head and Timmermans would have blood in his hands if one of them did. Um, and um, yeah, there are, there are some, uh, every week I think we have an opinion poll coming out uh, uh, how are they looking um, what, 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 what would voters vote if there were elections now? Yeah, the opinion polls are curious because um, uh, the interesting thing is that the PFFA keep gaining seats, um, so yeah. they're now at four to 49 almost a third of the total but 
all these gains are coming from the other parties they want to go in coalition with. So the actual yeah. four parties are not moving as a unit. So they're up to four, but the, the NSA have plummeted seven to 11. Remember, they won 20 at the election. The Fefe Day are still on 19, although that's down, I think, uh, six from uh, how, the number of MPs they have. And the BBB have yeah. uh, made a small gain. They're up two to eight. So altogether, they've got 87 seats, which is one less than they actually have in Parliament. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, and in the midst of all of this, um, there was another report on the scandal that brought down the previous governments, I think. Yeah, well, not not the one that is, yeah, not the government we don't, hasn't been formed yet, not the government that is uh, a caretaker government and is uh, supposed to be on its way out, but the one before that. Um, they fell because of the Tuslachen Affäre, which is the child benefit scandal, uh, and that prompted the resignation of Mark Grutter. Uh, remember him and uh, th his ministers in 2021. The tax office's yeah. zealous pursuit of people who are branded fraudsters because they made uh, minor errors in their paperwork was the subject of an absolutely scathing assessment by a parliamentary committee. Socialist MP Michiel van Nispen, who chaired the inquiry and presented the 500-page report on Tuesday, said the authorities were blind to the consequences of policies and decision-making. Institutions looked at numbers rather than people. Dual nationality was seen as a risk factor and the courts, right up to the Council of State, enforced the zero-tolerance approach to benefit fraud, even when it was clearly having devastating consequences for working families. Uh, von Nispen was also critical of the media, who created a, an echo chamber, or a papachaya circle, I think, a, a sort of parrot circle, um, with politicians where they all repeated each other endlessly uh, without uh, anyone asking any critical questions. Um, and also that they regarded some forms of fraud as more worthy of their attention than others, uh, apparently because the suspected perpetrators were migrants. So we had, on one hand, we had the Bulgarian fraud of 2013, where Bulgarian criminal gangs sent busloads of people to the Netherlands to claim uh, housing and healthcare benefits and then go straight home again um, uh, because you could do that. Uh, and that was one of the things that prompted the crackdown on benefits cheats at the time. Uh, but on the other hand, there was also a much more widespread case of fraud involving Dutch pensioners living in Spain. Um, but when that uh, came to light on a TV documentary, the tele ran with a story that said uh, that interviewed these people and said we built this country <laughs> mm, yeah so why yeah. shouldn't and we hollow out to Spain the, and then we moved to Spain yeah yeah um, and finally, there was an election victory in uh, in Amsterdam. Yes, because the city's mayor, Famke Halsema, has been chosen for a second six-year term. Um, if, if, what, wait, she's elected? What do you mean? Well, if you think you missed the election, that's because it was a secret ballot by the members of the city council. Mm. Um, basically, the same procedure that's used to elect the president of Eritrea. <laughs> uh, Halsema's name is now will now be forwarded to the king, who uh, formally makes the appointment, and he'll rubber stamp uh, her reappointment later in the year. She's got a number of hot potatoes on her plate, not least a continuing row over whether to locate an erotic centre or a sex palace or a city brothel, no, pick your cliché, uh, out by the Zaudas Business District. This is uh, the relocation, the ongoing relocation of the Red Light District. Halsema will also oversee the closure of the ATM motorway. Uh, obviously, being a Groenings politician, oh, yeah. she's closing motorways, but this is for the city's official 750th birthday celebrations. Uh, she wants to bring Amsterdam into line with the rest of the country by restricting access to coffee shops or cannabis cafes to local residents but she's also argued that cocaine and other hard drugs should be legalized and regulated and uh, there was an interesting interview in the guardian this week with her counterpart in rotterdam ahmed Abu Taleb, who took the completely opposite view saying that uh, we've uh, allowed um, gangland crime to uh, become more powerful basically because we've treated cocaine
seen as a kind of middle-class drug, and because rich people take it, we shouldn't be too bothered. Halsmeyer also stirred up controversy over the summer when she criticised expats for living in an English-speaking bubble and told them they should help out more in their communities, even though research published by the statistic agency CBS this week showed that well-off white Dutch people were the least integrated group in the whole of society. Are they? Okay, that's interesting. Uh, that's um, what the CBS said, not my words. <laughs> uh, go to Zoetermeer if you want to argue. <laughs> um, I believe they are located in Zoetermeer, I'm not even sure. Um... No, they are located in Heerlen, of all places. Yes, they moved to Heerlen. Yes, they're in Heerlen, yeah, of course. Yeah. So they're safe. Uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, so a good thing that uh, that Femme Kalsma uh, still has another six years to complete this long list of uh, of items on her to-do list because, uh, yeah, it's uh, she has a lot of uh, stuff to do, I think. She's uh, got to play work cut out, I think, yeah, yeah, to get through all that little lot. And, of course, the city, in six years' time, she may not be, she may not have a city to govern at all because the houses are all <laughs> sinking. <laughs> Crime Lord Ridwan Tachi was sentenced to life in prison by the District Court of Amsterdam on Tuesday in the long-awaited verdict in one of the largest criminal trials in Dutch history. Tachi was once the most wanted man in the Netherlands and he stood accused of running the largest drug trafficking organization in Europe. Together with Saeed Razuki and Mario R, he was also given uh, life terms for their role in six gangland killings over several years and four attempted murders, plus other attacks and uh, also being a member of a criminal organization. Um, yeah, a, a gangland killing is in Dutch called a liquidation. Mm. Uh, that seems to be um, a point of uh, of, uh, of fascination for the Dutch news team. <laughs> it's just, uh, um, yeah, I think it's not really a term that's used anywhere else, that's all. Uh, I think elsewhere yeah. you talk about assassinations, but it's... Yeah. It's a better word, yeah. probably. Yeah. Um, there were 14 other defendants and they were all given jail terms uh, between 29 and just under two years. Um, our Dutch News uh, podcast uh, friend of the show, Molly Quell, has been extensively following the very complicated and lengthy judicial process over the past six years. And we asked her to tell us something about the verdict. Hello, Dutch News podcast listeners. This is Molly Quell. I um, got asked, forced voluntold maybe by Paul and Gordon to do something on Marengo, which is a thing I have been covering under duress, um, I think for as long as this trial has been going on. Uh, on Tuesday this week, Ridwan Tahi and 16 of his co-defendants were convicted of a series of murders and attempted murders and all sorts of other bad crimes. Um, he was, Tahi was convicted for running a criminal operation that had kind of organized these murders um, and has also been linked to the deaths of um, Peter Air de Vries, the Dutch investigative journalist who was killed in Amsterdam a few years ago, um, as well as the lawyer and the brother of the crown witness in the case. This has been kind of this ongoing saga. And in fact, today on Wednesday, as I'm recording this, there is Yet more information about Tahi's former lawyer, Inez Vesky, who um, was forced to resign as counsel after it was discovered that she was passing messages um, within his organization to sort of help him run this thing uh, while he was in jail. There's been a lot of discussions and allegations as to why she chose to do that, but that's that case is still pending. Um, this, uh, the, this trial, which is called the Marengo trial, because the Dutch system weirdly just assigns random nouns to their trials. Marengo is like a color gray. It's like used in textile. It's also the name of Napoleon's horse. This has nothing to do with the actual trial. 
Um, the actual trial takes place or has been taking place or took place, I guess now. I like being able to say that in the past tense. Uh, the bunker in Amsterdam, which makes it sound like a military installation and is in fact an old Sana warehouse on an industrial terrain in the outskirts of Amsterdam. Under extremely high security, it's sort of a lot of military police with ski masks on where you can only see their eyes when you go. Um... The Public Prosecution Service charged 17 defendants, as I said, with six murders, four attempted murders, and various other crimes. Tahi and two of his co-defendants were given life sentences, um, and then various other kind of sentences for people sort of depending on their involvement and whatever bad things that they've been charged with. This trial has really sort of captured the media attention. I am very tired from spending a lot of time yesterday doing TV and radio for, you know, the U.S. and Canada and other places abroad who have been quite interested sort of in this trial and the implications that this trial and the murders that took place during the trial, um, but that were not part of the trial. So the DeVries murders and the, the lawyers and stuff um, have sort of made a lot of people kind of have commentary about there being that the Netherlands is turning into a narco state. Um, I am somewhat skeptical of this. I'm not somewhat skeptical. I'm extraordinarily skeptical, given the fact that violent crime has been on the decrease for years. And also I left my keys in my bike last night in front of my house and nobody stole it. So I find it hard to believe that rule of law is completely collapsed in this country. Um, but, you know, like with a lot of these kind of drugs, trials, big names, people, people get very infatuated and sort of fascinated by kind of how these organizations operate. Um, at least one of the defendants, lawyers, has indicated that they're going to appeal. So this is not the end of Marengo, but hopefully this is the end of me having to talk about Marengo anymore. Yeah. So um, are we going to crowdfund Molly's therapy um, <laughs> after sitting through this trial for, I don't know, on, on very random days over the last, I think, about three years that's been going on because it's been an intense experience? <laughs> Yeah, and I'm uh, I'm sure some uh, some of the people that were convicted and pro probably the the public prosecution service as well will uh, will uh, file for uh, for an appeal because they're yeah. not uh, not happy with uh, with the uh, with the ruling. So uh, there is uh, still plenty of uh, of days for Molly to spend in the bunker, I think. Uh, so uh, maybe after that we can uh, start uh, start a crowdfunding campaign. Yeah. Um, the Marengo trial, as it is called, uh, as Molly explained, um, yeah, is very complicated, very lengthy. It lasted six years. There were uh, an endless stream of, of plot twists and turns and 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 yeah, all sorts of extremely strange developments which you uh, you ca you cannot imagine. Uh, yeah. We did a, a special episode for Patreon supporters um, on the Marengo trial and the whole backstory around that. I think it's an hour long episode, so if you are interested in that. Uh, uh, Subscribe to our Patreon, and uh, yeah, that uh, that um, uh, episode will be available for you. Um, there's also on the Dutch News website a feature with a uh, much more, what um, much shorter explanation on uh, all the details about the Marengo trial. We will link to that in the in the liner notes as well. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> if, if you really want to uh, have uh, some, yeah, sit through 75 minutes, just mind-bending, um, uh, all-encompassing uh, criminal law procedure. Well, not not that, that, that just just about everything that's happened in the underworld in the um, in the last sort of I don't know five or six years seems to circle back to this trial at some point. Uh, it just seems to pull in absolutely everything. 
And uh, Ridwan Tahi's criminal organization was initially dubbed the Mokro Mafia, the Moroccan uh, yes. Mafia, uh, which is a uh, yeah quite an uh, uh, yeah actually a bad term because yeah the, in, initially it was thought that uh, a, a lot of people, almost everyone involved in that organization, was from Moroccan descent. But it turns out that it, it is of course much wider than that. Um, the trial uh, was, I think, uh, it's fair to say, set in motion when Nabil Bey, who was a high-ranking member of Tahrir's criminal organization, yeah, turned to the police, fearing for his own life, uh, and uh, yeah, in turn of uh, of protection, police protection, but also a reduced sentence. He provided the police with uh, yeah, incriminating details and inside information, and uh, yeah, that uh, really helped the public prosecution department to build a case against Ridwan Tahrir. But that, w- that didn't come without uh, mm-hmm. without a cost uh, for Nabil Bey personally uh, his younger brother uh, his lawyer and his advisor were all gunned down in broad daylight uh, and it is uh, yeah, expected that this was uh, on the orders of uh, Ridwan Tahi who was initially in hiding in Dubai but um, yeah, for example the murder of Peter Edevries the advisor of Nabil Bey um, yeah, uh, uh, Ridwan Tahi was already in the highest security prison in the Netherlands so yeah how did he yes, order exactly. that? How, how did he give instructions uh, for him to be him to be killed? Yeah, yeah, and the and, whole uh, yeah, and, and and it's whole it all began with Nabil Bey, as you say, when he was involved in a mistaken identity murder. And there's quite a few. There's a couple yeah. of murders where actually the wrong person was killed, and that was one of the uh, things that was Tucky's downfall. That he was so ruthless, he was so determined to um, eliminate anyone who said anything to the police or implicated in gang at all. That uh, quite often the people he hired. Uh, to carry out the killings, turn uh, then took out the wrong people, and that caused huge problems that eventually brought down his organisation. And some say that uh, yeah, the statements by the crown witness wouldn't have been enough, probably for the po- public prosecution to build a, a convincing case against yeah. uh, Ridwan Tahi. But luckily, uh, for the public prosecutor, there was an avalanche of, of more incriminating uh, evidence that came to light after the Dutch Forensic Institute uh, encrypted uh, the messaging services uh, PGB, uh, which is uh, yeah. Uh, basically, you buy a phone with an, with an encryption uh, uh, software, right? And yeah. uh, it was widely used by uh, by Tahi and uh, the rest of his uh, organization. And they all thought that they were, yeah, th- it couldn't be cracked. So yeah. they they uh, they were really, um, uh, yeah, how do you say that? They were really uh, outspoken about uh, yeah everything about all their activities. Yeah, one thing I loved about uh, this is they all use code names in this, uh, in, this yeah. in these conversations, but they gave themselves away because they would congratulate congratulate each other on their birthdays and the birth of their children, yeah. and uh, yeah, give personal details that then enabled the investigators to work out who was who. So initially they started using code names to sort of hide their identity and to make it, if it would have been encrypted, it would be very difficult to uh, to pinpoint who exactly yeah. is, is is messaging. But yeah, with these sort of, they, they really used it as WhatsApp and that uh, that, uh, that gave them away. Yeah, PGP um, was pretty good privacy. So uh, yeah. they should have gone for very good privacy, really, shouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, pretty good is not, uh, it wasn't not good, good enough. enough. Yeah, yeah it's like, it was like the, the Meester Mensa Dogen of uh, encrypted apps. <laughs> <laughs> the Rutger Bregman of encryption <laughs> apps. Um, 
Yeah, and there was of course another twist in the Marengo trial uh, in April uh, last year when Ines Vesky, she is a very prominent criminal lawyer, and she was also Tachi's lead counsel. She was arrested for smuggling information in and out the high security prison where Tachi was being held in solitary confinement. Um, that she was she was arrested right after her uh, right after the trial was over, right? So it was uh, it was well planned by the uh, by the police, I think. Um, she was released in June. She said in the statement that she hadn't given any information or statement to the police. She would never break her client's confidentiality. But almost immediately after Tuesday's verdict, the public prosecution department uh, announced that uh, they are planning to take Vesky to court um, to, uh, for membership of a criminal organization. So uh, I think there is still a lot for Molly uh, to uh, to cover in the in the coming uh, years. Well, I'm sure that will bring joy to her heart. <laughs> If the bookmakers are right, Mark Rutte will take charge of an expanded NATO later this year, now after Sweden's membership was finalised this week. And the military alliance can count on the Netherlands for another 10 years in Ukraine after the two countries signed a security treaty last week. The treaty includes agreements on medium and long-term military support, defence industry cooperation, countering cyber attacks and reconstruction after the war. Caretaker Foreign Minister Hanke Brandt-Slot said the Netherlands' security was closely linked to that of Ukraine, and without the support of the West, the country would cease to exist. Not everyone was happy with the deal. Geert Wilders said a caretaker government shouldn't be committing the country to anything for 10 years, even though it's likely mm. to take at least that long for the PFV to form a government. The PFV group in the Senate also voted against extending European support for Ukraine this week. The four PFV senators sided with the other far-right party, Forum for Democracy, in rejecting an amendment to the budget that would commit a further 2 billion euros to Ukraine. And that's not the only Ukraine deal announced this week. No, Rutas also said that the Netherlands is contributing 100 million euros to help replenish Ukraine's stocks of ammunition. The Czechs have taken the initiative on this scheme to speed up the delivery of ammunition shells to the front line. We know that Putin is gearing up for a long war, Rutas said, and we need to keep showing we are steadfast and time is, on, uh, time is not on his side. French President Emmanuel Macron organised a summit of 20 European leaders in Paris and also said nothing could be ruled out in ensuring Ukraine wins a war, including sending in NATO troops, which is uh, a detail that hasn't, uh, suggestion that hasn't been made uh, much up till this point, no. but that seems to be sort of creeping up the agenda. Um, as well, there was a, d a debate in Parliament um, at the same time this week about Ukrainian refugees and whether their, their financial support should be scaled back because uh, when they arrived two years ago in an almighty hurry, um, basically the governments were, were bent, bent over backwards to accommodate them, which is a very, I think most people agree, was a very good positive thing. And they were given housing, they were given exemption from the standard immigration asylum channels so they could come straight to the Netherlands, they could look for work, they were given somewhere to live, they were often paired up with Dutch families but now two years on many Ukrainians are quite well settled here because they have the right to live and work they found about half have found jobs but they are still not having to pay for health insurance or gas or heating mm. and they uh, even get living expenses which are supposed to be um, dropped when they find a job but the councils who administer this say it's very difficult to actually check if someone's got a job or not so the yeah, parliament debated uh, at length um, whether to scale back um, this the, the support package which seems reasonable but at the same time of course the PVV again got up uh, particularly uh, Gidi Makasova who's uh, yeah, something of a, a sort of, um, loves nothing better than a tirade against immigrants to complain there were too many Ukrainians there were too many asylum seekers which shut the borders we shouldn't let any of them in and again this is the PVV 
TPV seem to be sort of cherry picking. On the one hand, Kiev builders will say, oh, yes, we'll talk about military support, we'll talk about giving more support to Ukraine. But at the same time, all the sons are this party is um, doing everything to drag its feet and, um, uh, yeah, uh, on uh, supporting Ukraine or doing anything more than lip service towards uh, support for Ukraine. Um, since the start of the Russian invasion, the Netherlands has spent 2.6 billion on military aid, uh, but according to a panel survey of Hart von Nederland viewers, uh, which are not exactly the most uh, sort of a progressive uh, group of people in the country, I think, uh, they said 44% said they supported sending ground troops to Ukraine, although only 15% oh. think they should be involved in combat missions. Then what are they going to do Well, that's like sort of what they do in <laughs> Afghanistan, like training the police and uh, mm. to, you know, to, um, yeah, doing sort of supervising uh, Ukrainian soldiers. So. We won't lock you into a 10-year deal to support the Dutch News Podcast, and it will cost you a lot less than 2.6 billion euros. So, if I can't, I can't think of two better reasons to become a sponsor of the podcast uh, on Patreon. I mean, potentially, it can cost you 2.6 billion euros. We won't mind. Yeah, I think you'd have to live for a very long time. But, uh, <laughs> um, but you also get the knowledge that your contributions do help us to help you keep making sense of the increasingly torturous efforts to form a government, as well as all the other relevant news, cricket updates, and Badger set pieces. We haven't talked about the badges yet, have we? No, why not? Why haven't we talked about the badges? <laughs> yeah. There is a video that came out from a... Uh, from Drenthe. From Drenthe, <laughs> of, all of all places. places. <laughs> uh, a wildlife camera that caught three bread badgers in a threesome together. Three badgers in a compromising position, yes. Yeah. <laughs> very compromising position. A compromised position. Mission, the position, I think, has already been named the Badger Courage. Uh, yeah, very. I'm sure the Dutch News will do an, uh, an article on this. We will force Robin to. Uh, to I think we already have. On the yeah, Robin is trying we to get. To, she's trying to get the video footage, but. Uh, yeah. Ah well, then uh, uh, then uh, we from, from some kind of dodgy Drents website. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so, so there's that footage uh, to look forward to in Dutch news. Uh, members also get access to our exclusive bonus content, including our upcoming episode on Lelystad Airport, uh, and of course the run through of the the walkthrough of the Rilo um, Taki um, multiple murder trial, and not to forget an extra vote in the Ophef of the Year awards. Now, there are four tiers of membership, all of the same benefits, so that you can choose a level that matches your budget. But Hochtergordel uh, patrons, that's the top tier, get three votes in the Ophef of the Year awards which is still more transparent than the procedure for choosing the mayor of Amsterdam. <laughs> if you'd like to become a Dutch News patron, why not log on to www.patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash Dutch News N-L. We have a bunch of short uh, news for you now, beginning with the tourism sector, which appears to have fully recovered from the corona pandemic, setting a record number of bookings in 2023. The record of overseas visitors climbed nearly a quarter to over 20 million, while the total number of guests was 49.7 million, and that's 8.1% more than in 2022. Most tourists uh, stayed in hotels with 3.3 uh, million more bookings than in 2022, and there were modest rises in the number of people staying on campsites, holiday parks and group accommodation too. Not all regions in the country saw a boost in bookings. The province of North Holland saw an increase of 16.9%, uh, probably because uh, people couldn't leave Schiphol by train, mm. uh, but we'll hear about that later. The province of North Holland saw an increase of 16.9%, including 239 more visitors. But uh, yeah, northern provinces such as Friesland and Drenthe and also North Brabant also saw tourist numbers decline. Although these uh, figures Drenthe were compiled before the, the, the badges uh, 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> got in, got, got involved, got into the into the mix. So yeah. I imagine there that uh, a, visitor numbers are going to shoot up in Drenthe now. Do you remember these badger sets uh, that were uh, disrupting train services all across the country? Yeah. Do we think they were digging sex dungeons or something? <laughs> Possibly, yeah. 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 yeah maybe this is a, is this where um, Amsterdam have um, you know, relocated their their badger sex dungeons <laughs> to Drenthe? This this what's happened? <laughs> I think Svenke Halsema secretly <laughs> promised the uh, Amsterdam City Council to move the the, the the municipal brothel to Drenthe and yeah. uh, that's what secured her, her re-election yeah, I think. and sent the badges on ahead to, <laughs> to, to, disrupt, to disrupt the train lines so that no one could leave Schiphol but uh, hopefully all these tourists are not planning to take the train no, because the Dutch Railways presented its annual report this week, and to the surprise of absolutely nobody, the NS is not doing so well. In 2023, the state-owned rail company booked an operational loss of 191 million euros, uh, and it is again failing its punctuality targets. Um, only 90% of passengers reached their destination on time in 2023, uh, compared to 91.6% the previous year. Of course, the CEO is uh, Wouter Kolmees, and he explained that travelers were hit by delays, disruptions, and too busy trains uh, because of uh, breakdowns, work on tracks, bad weather, a shortage of technicians, and of course, sexing badgers. <laughs> a backlog of work uh, led to fewer and shorter trains, forcing passengers to stand because there were no seats. Um, the rail company had to hand over 3.6 million euros in compensation for delays to passengers because they were forced to take a taxi or pay a hotel to uh, yeah to um, come home um, in, in at night I think on the income side things are still not going well uh, passenger numbers are still uh, over 10% below pre-pandemic levels and despite its poor performance and has uh, still managed to secure the 10 year long concession for train services on the main rail network for two uh, two months ago and uh, so now is an excellent timing to uh, announce an unforeseen increase of train ticket prices mm. uh, surprise yes to, to no one's <laughs> um, surprise no um, next year you can expect to pay 10 percent more for your ticket and that comes on top of the 8.7 increase DNS announced last year. Uh, that was uh, prevented by a one-off capital injection of 120 million euros by the cabinet. Uh, yeah, but next year they will uh, implement that anyway. So 8.7% uh, first and then 10% again. Great. So trains are going to get more expensive, which means, of course, few people use the trains. And they will make a bigger loss. They will have less money to spend on track maintenance and... The circle keeps going. To keep, yeah, the wheel keeps turning. It's the fish. Yeah, it's a, it's a downward <laughs> Un spiral. Unlike the wheels of yeah. the train. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, it, it's a badger set of despair. <laughs> and uh, there was yeah, that was an awful lot of numbers, and uh, that's something that uh, apparently the average middle school pupil, as we mentioned earlier, uh, seems to be struggling to understand. Yeah, Dutch school inspectors have sounded the alarm about the poor standards of maths among a large number of secondary school pupils. The experts fear that many of them will not achieve the legally required level at the end of their school careers. Students in uh, vocational training are supposed to reach arithmetic level 2F, which I don't know what it is but it's uh, it's the name of a certain level um, but over 72 percent do not have the level of skills in the second year of vmbo school uh, inspectors found and students in pre-university education have or vbo for example uh, are also not doing well they should reach the 3f standard uh, at their graduation but uh, 20 percent are not at the proper level after two years of middle school um, there are a variety of causes for the poor skills, the report states, for example, different terminal 
terminology is used in primary and secondary schools. The teacher shortages may have made it uh, very difficult to uh, recruit enough skilled staff. In addition, uh, older children do not spend enough time on reinforcing skills learned at primary school uh, and secondary schools who should therefore spend more time on math lessons. The average is currently two and a half hours a week. And teachers should be retrained to boost the quality of lessons. Um, the inspectors recommend it. Okay. So if you are a middle school t- uh, pupil, then uh, yeah, get excited for even more math. Great. I bet they'll be thrilled by that. I was just thinking that uh, if the PFFA come into power, we won't need maths anymore because um, their solution to everything is uh, basically to reduce numbers to zero. Like zero <laughs> asylum seekers, zero spending on the um, public broadcasting, uh, zero Pension ministries. Pension to zero. Yeah, and so on. That will solve math immigration. Yes, indeed. That was appalling. <laughs> yeah, it really was, right? <laughs> it's pretty bad, yeah. Force news now, and we start with disappointment for the Dutch women's football team. They won't be going to the Olympics in Paris this summer after they missed out on one of the two places available through the Nations League. Yeah, so another reason to abolish this tournament, I think. <laughs> and another reason to abolish math. Yes. Last Friday, they lost uh, 3-0 to Spain in the semi-final, but they were given a second chance. After France beat Germany in the other match, and with the French already sure of a place in the Olympic tournament, because uh, it's uh, being held in their country, the winner of the third-place playoff, the Toast Finale, reclaimed the second qualifying spot. The Leovinen held out until well into the second half, but Germany always looked likeliest to score, and after 66 minutes, Clara Bull fired a half-volley past Daphne van Domselaar. Bull and ten provider to set up substitute Lea Schuller with a header. Coach Andres Jonker was succinct in his appraisal. Germany in this form are too big for us, he said. And uh, Captain Sherida Spitzer agreed. She said, if you look at the match overall, they were better than we were. We have to be honest. But the 33-year-old Spitzer said she had no plans to quit international football and would be concentrating on the European qualifiers next month. So Spain and Germany will play in the Olympics, which start on July the 26th. Uh, and we have uh, one cup finalist in the men's competition. That's uh, NEC Nijmegen, who've reached the final for the first time since 2000. Uh, back mm. then, they were the last team from the Eerste Divisie to get that far. And um, they lost to Roda JC Kakrada. Um, seems a long time since they were in the Eredivisie. And uh, yeah. that's been the story of NSA's four cup finals in their history. They've lost them all. So this is their fifth attempt to try and win uh, the tournament. Uh, they needed extra time to overcome Kambua Leovarden of the Koken Kampion Divisie. Uh, they went ahead in the first half when Roberts Uldukis headed in from close range. But NSA's Japanese contingent proved the difference. Koki Ogawa equalised after an hour before Kodai Sano scored the winner in the 99th minute. There. Oh. Yeah, so, yeah so, who knew that uh, Nijmegen was a magnet for Japanese footballers? Uh, <laughs> I didn't. No, there must be a feeder club for Celtic, um, because uh, they also have lots of Japanese players. Ah. Yeah. Anyway, their opponents will be either Feyenoord or another Koken Kampioen Divisie side, Groningen. I think I guess who they'd rather play. Uh, those two teams meet in De Kaup on Friday evening, and uh, De Kaup is also the venue for the final of the tournament on April the 21st. Uh, last but 
by no means uh, least what is uh, happening in, in cricket. I am uh, I'm always curious to know what's happening in or the world of cricket. Or is it teams know what's happening in cricket? Yeah, well, it's not quite the last item because I've just remembered something else we need to mention. But the men's cricket team okay. have been busy in the last few weeks. They played six matches since touching down in Kathmandu two weeks ago. And uh, there are uh, another two fixtures coming up over the weekend. They ended the first stage of their qualifying campaign for the 2027 Cricket World Cup, which is even more complicated than the UEFA Nations League um, and uh, yeah, would completely floor a Dutch secondary school mass pupil. Um, with uh, yeah, uh, two wins and two defeats, one each against Nepal and Namibia. They play. They played each. All those teams played each other twice in this Tri Nations mini series, which is part of a bigger series to qualify for the World Cup. Mm. Namibia, who beat Nepal twice, topped the table. Canada and the United Arab Emirates are the only other teams to have played so far in a group that also contains Scotland, the USA, and Oman. The first defeat to Namibia was particularly sore. The Dutch were 168 for six with five overs to play, needing to score around seven and over to win, which should have been pretty feasible, but they lost their last four wickets for just 11 runs. And in the 2020, which is an even shorter form of cricket than the one-day form, in the 2020 Tri-Nation series between the same countries, the Dutch have beaten both the other nations already, and they play in Nepal for the second time on Saturday and Namibia again on Sunday. So those, yes, they're seeing a lot of Nepal and Namibia at the moment, and uh, the Dutch cricketers... Uh, and are they the same team, the, the 2020 Tri-Nation yeah, teams? Yeah, more or less. The I other... don't think there's one or two changes in the squads, but uh, it's basically the same players, yeah. They've all, okay, well, obviously, Nepal are playing at home, but Namibia and Netherlands have flown in to play this. Oh, every uh, time? Oh, well, wow. not every time, no, because they just, they're just playing six matches in the, in the spell of three weeks. So they just ah, hang out okay. in Kathmandu. Um, yeah, and Nepal are also the first... The uh, buzzing city of Kathmandu. Yeah. And uh, Nepal are also the first uh, opponents for the Dutch in the T20 World Cup on June the 4th. Um, and finally, finally, uh, we've got the World Athletics Championships, the indoor World yeah. Athletics Championships coming up in Glasgow. So hopefully it's not being arranged <laughs> by the same people who organise the, the Willy Wonka chocolate experience. Um, Beware uh, of a badly dressed Oompa Loompas. At the, uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. At the so, yeah, so, so, yeah, so, but uh, Bol obviously is one of the stars of uh, potential stars of that tournament. She's the favourite to win the women's 400 metres. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully not dressed as an Oompa Loompa or running through a, an archway. And, uh, I mean, getting she's a gold an orange, medal right? Mars, getting a gold she's dressed medal. in orange, so she's yeah. basically a Oompa Loompa. She's basically an Oompa Loompa, yeah. I hope she gets a gold medal and not a single jelly bean and a quarter cup of uh, supermarket brand orange juice yeah the uh, golden medal is the golden ticket for her the province of Groningen has granted a subsidy of 45,000 euros to a company that wants to automate the production of egg balls According to the province, the fried snack is a household name in Groningen, but it is very difficult to produce the egg ball on a large scale. An egg ball, or Gruniger Eierball, consists of a hard-boiled egg dipped in ragu, so that's not minced meat, it's ragu, Mm -hmm. after which it is breaded and deep-fried. The egg ball is a a nightlife snack and is often eaten in snack bars and cafeterias in Groningen. And since 2017, the egg ball is also an intangible cultural heritage uh, announced by the UNESCO. Until now, uh, egg balls have been made by hand, but the sausage company Uldrix from Hoge Zand is developing a machine so that the egg balls can also be produced in a factory. The company sees opportunities to also sell the egg balls outside Groningen. After a request from the sausage company for financial support, the province decided to grant the subsidy. With this, we can ensure that the egg ball is further expanded as a regional product beyond provincial borders. Do we think it will get the same um, recognition as the stroopwafel? 
Well, I don't think it should, because this is basically just a scotch egg. Just dressed no, it's up. Not. <laughs> it's not. We've, uh, we, we, we've sparked a furious row on the, on <laughs> social media at Dutch News uh, because uh, by suggesting that uh, this is uh, eerily similar to a, a delicacy known uh, in Britain as the Scotch egg, which is a hard-boiled egg, but then um, wrapped in uh, sausage meat and then deep-fried in breadcrumbs. Yeah, and mm. ragu is uh, ragu is the is the stuff that you find in a bitter bowl or a croquette. Yeah, that's right? what, that's something. In, in a shocking twist, the Dutch have basically copied the Scotch egg, but they've uh, put some kind of uh, unspeakable meaty goo in place of the sausage meat. Um, we improved it. <laughs> so you say. I have to say. Yeah, but there was a big row about saying was this a unique colonial delicacy or was it in fact just a knockoff Scotch egg? And when we actually <laughs> dug into the story, we discovered that the that whereas the Scotch egg was first uh, recorded uh, in a Fortnum and Mason hamper in the 18th century, the eyeball has only been in existence since World War One, and it seems to be a creation that uh, was uh, inspired by English soldiers who were fleeing from Belgium when it was occupied by Germany during World War One. The Netherlands was a neutral country, so they all fled to the Netherlands. They were interned in a camp in uh, near Groningen, and they started making Scotch eggs because they didn't really fancy having mashed potatoes the whole time. And uh, <laughs> the Groningers kind of took this, varied it slightly with uh, this uh, this uh, bitter bowl goo, and, uh, it, and, yes. and, and uh, called it Nyabol, and now are claiming it as their own invention. Um. Yeah, it's uh, it looks very similar. It is a little bit different, as I say. It's an improvement, but yeah, you, you cannot call a bossa ball the same as a morkop, for example. Those oh. are two completely different things, even though they look similar. So um, yeah, I'm sorry, Scottish people, they <laughs> stole your idea, but they, as I said, improved it. You can never, you can't improve on a Scotch egg. It's actually physically, imbo- it's, it's unfeasible. It's against the laws I of have, physics. I haven't tried a Scots uh, Scotch egg or a eyeball, so I have absolutely no idea which one is better. Actually, I find the the whole idea a bit, um, yeah, yeah, repulsive. It, it, it does say actually that the eyeball, in fairness to the Kroning, is, uh, is is not quite f- totally hard boiled. It's still slightly soft in the center. Oh, really? Yeah, so that, oh. that sounds quite uh, appetizing. I'm gonna have to go up to um, Kroning and uh, have an eyeball and uh, uh, compare it to a Scotch egg. And uh, <laughs> repeat. Of course, Scotch eggs now yeah, can't be imported into the, can't be imported into Netherlands. If no, because to, of Brexit, of course. Because of Brexit. Yeah. If you actually go, if you yeah. actually pick up a pack of Scotch eggs in a British supermarket, it says "Not for EU" on the packet. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So the way it's the, clear um, for the Cronia eyeball to monopolise the uh, hard-boiled, deep-fried delicacy market. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because the this company says yeah it it, it the eyeball has a very limited shell life you can't uh, uh, f- uh, freeze it because then the egg will get rubbery but apparently in in Scotland and the United Kingdom they found a way to uh, put scotch eggs uh, on, on the shelf so maybe they should steal that idea as well there are some very good reactions though responses to that um, when we put the oh, story yeah, up on them. Dutch news uh, somebody said how have the Dutch reinvented scotch eggs and claim it's some kind of protected cuisine another tweeter <laughs> said uh, what next haggis whiskey kilts and bagpipes use lotter for the watching <laughs> <laughs> I mean a dry ore is some sort of bagpipe in a way right or not yeah, sounds it, sounds just as horrible. Uh, very similar. Yeah, on on, on the other side, uh, I think uh, uh, Ben Coates, a, um, a friend of the podcast, also tweeted this story and got lots of reaction from his his uh, his friendly Dutch followers, um, <laughs> including actually Titia Ketelau, the NSA correspondent, weighed in and said, "Don't ever cross a chronia by comparing a eyeball with a Scotch egg." I'm sure they're very similar. I have to admit. 
That's uh, all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating, and back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. You earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast. Uh, my thanks to uh, Gordon Derek, and we'll be back next week. I should have gone to the uh, Isinga uh, Planetary. Mm. Uh, okay. What, what did they do there? Well, he um, uh, he didn't take the leap day into account, but he had a strategy to uh, yeah, deal with it. And he had a very long, he, he had written a very long manual on, on how to stop the mechanism and uh, basically run uh, February 28th for a second time. But it also involved um, resetting the, the, the planets and the stars because there's also a star, um, a, a constellation um, mechanism there. And that also needs to be taken into account. So it's a very lengthy procedure and apparently it's a very special day at that museum because you know it happens once in every four 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 years and there is only one person that knows how to do it so he is probably very <laughs> he's kind of uh, important very, yeah i mean if something happens to him important. then like uh, the entire world of dutch astronomy is going to <laughs> is, is going to be completely off kilter sweaty palms uh, <laughs> you, you can imagine how uh, how that is going yeah um but uh, yeah apparently everything uh, went fine as always because uh, yes. it's still running.